Hey, it's Arrow, and this is PodFest, episode number 33. Three back-to-back conversations with real people of entertainment, politics, science, medicine, or cooks in their own kitchen. Podcast 33 features an extremely fun and personal conversation with the drummer of Leonard Skinnerd, Mr. Artemis Pyle. Our second conversation deals with how we can help heal our fun-loving puppies. The book is called Dr. Dog from M.R. Wells. Then we're headed into some of the most unique music on the planet even today, the one and only Manhattan Transfer. This is Podfest 33. <laughs> We are unplugged and totally uncut with Artemis Pyle from Leonard Skinner. Plus, he was a major part of this new movie called Street Survivors, the true story of the Leonard Skinner plane crash, which was scripted and directed by Jared Cohn. Now, according to Pyle, this film's story is his story. It's not just about the plane crash, but also about his personal relationship with the genius that once was Ronnie Van Zant, to whom he loved like a brother and still misses today. God, I love moments like that. I really do. And that's the reason why I love everybody over there at highendpottery.com, because what they create with their hands is something that creates your own special moments. Not just now, but when you get in with your circle of friends, elevate your experience. All high-end products are one-of-a-kind functional art pieces, two hitters, pipes, bongs, and bubblers. We even have wake and bakes. Have you seen this yet? You got to see these pictures, man. I wish wish we had pictures in radio. Hi, H-I hyphen end pottery.com. You must be 21 years of age to purchase. And, And let them know that Arrow sent you because they'll take care of the shipping and handling. Arrow sent you, okay? We are unplugged and totally uncut with Artemis Pyle. I'm okay, Arrow. You're in Charlotte, North Carolina. I am. You guys have been here a few million times, haven't you? At least. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I've I've always thought it's because you guys and and Skinner Nation have always been so relatable to people of the South, as well as very respectable to anywhere in this nation. And that's why this story, this movie, this music is so valuable to us right now. It is, man. And there was a... Uh, I love your name, by the way, Arrow. And I, I think of that song, Me and My Arrow, by Nielsen. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, love, I love that song. And, of course, Arrow was also uh, an automobile that was made. Um, but, you know, you're right. This is a very important film uh, for um, the older Skinner fans that would lo- always wanted to know what happened that fateful day and that evening, uh, October 20th, 1977. And as well as younger fans, um, and I was just talking to Chicago, and the guy, you know, said that this this basically three generations of fans that love the music of Leonard Skinner and Ronnie Van Zant, and uh, and it's true, it's it's three generations, and it was very important for this story to be told, and uh, we wrote an original soundtrack uh, to the movie. Uh, my band, APB, uh, we're out of Asheville, North Carolina, although I live in Burke County. I live in Morganton. Shut up. I have a 50-acre oh farm in Burke County over in Morganton, and uh, my my news that I get is out of Charlotte. Oh, my God. You get it on BT? Uh, Channel 3. Channel 3, and, yeah. Uh, and Channel 9. That's it. Oh, my God. You know, you're, you're those crazy folk up there in Morganton that always get the snowstorms and that I-40 corridor and all that kind of stuff. I, yeah, I, I love Burke County. It's kind of the gateway up to uh, Boone, North Carolina, going up 181, uh, the beautiful mountains, Table Rock, 
and uh, Grandfather Mountain and everything. I have a son that's going to Appalachian State University in Boone, uh, same as River. Uh, my other two sons, Chris and Marshall, I'm in a band with them called Pile Tribe, and they both wrote music for the soundtrack, um, as well as my band out of Asheville, um, Jerry Lida, Scott Rains, Brad Durden, and uh, David Fowler, and they wrote a song for the soundtrack of the movie, and it's called Street Survivor, and I think it's a bona fide southern rock hit. I, I, Arrow, I would love for you to give me some feedback sometime. Get my number. Everybody's got it. Call me, and we'll talk after you hear the, uh, the soundtrack and see the movie. Uh, I feel that we, um, we, we recorded in Winston-Salem. What? A bona fide Southern rock hit. Barry <laughs> and Scott and Warren Haynes. Warren Haynes also was a co-writer on the song. Um, so, you know, the soundtrack, I feel, is a Grammy award-winning soundtrack to a movie that about something that really happened. Uh, original score. So we're very excited about it to come out. Uh, it, it, after all this time working on it with lawsuits and uh, going to the Court of Appeals up in New York and everything we've been up against, the movie is now coming out Tuesday, June the 30th. And we really appreciate your support, too, there in Charlotte. Well, I have heard the soundtrack and I've been infected by this soundtrack. And I want to break down some lyrics, if you don't mind. Go for it. I want to hear the, the story behind the song Curse. We're talking about a song that is so spiritual and it's so deep into the blues. Where did this song originate from? And, and was this the way that it originally sounded before you stepped in the studio? Uh, my, my son wrote that song, Chris Pyle, Christopher Pyle. Um, he's my oldest son. And he wrote that song from experience. Uh, you know, if, if this curse is contagious then I, I really, you know, I really have to go. And uh, I thought he wrote it about a girl. Uh, but, 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 you know, the song, um, it, it's, it's got a wider spectrum. And uh, maybe we can come over and do an interview sometime, and you can talk to Chris, and he can give you the exact insight into the song. But I really appreciate you bringing that up because, you know, it's in the movie soundtrack. Um, and uh, I, I love performing the song. We recorded it in uh, in Hendersonville, North Carolina, at a beautiful studio that sits in uh, out on twenty five thousand acres up in the up in the mountains. And uh, we recorded that whole album, his album um, that came out uh, under the name Chapel, which is his middle name. But we changed the band's name to Pile Tribe. Because uh, everybody kept pronouncing it Chappelle. Oh no! <laughs> so, uh, but so we changed the name of his band to Pile Tribe. He did. He changed it. And um, you know, we we played in the Virgin Islands last uh, year. Did uh, six shows down there. Then went out on the Rock Legends cruise for the Native American Heritage Association, and uh, played on the ship as well. We do that every year. My band APB. And uh, I could not be more proud of my sons, of my band, APB, Jerry and Scott and Brad and, and Dave uh, and Cleopatra Films and everybody that worked so hard to get this film done to tell the story that a lot of Skinner fans have been wanting to know for years.
So it was a hard-fought effort and comes out Tuesday, so wow. The song Wish. I love the way that you kept true to the twin guitars in there. And and my God, you, you talk about putting me in several moments of travel with Leonard Skinner, but that song, I Wish, really creates a new moment. The, the whole soundtrack's going to come out on vinyl. Yes. And, uh, you know, there there's some songs that, that actually bring me to tears. Um, a lot of times when I'm playing with APB, my band, uh, our band out of Asheville, uh, we've been together for 10 years. You know, within the set... I think of all of my past band members that have, have um, you know, gone to rock and roll heaven, and it sometimes it brings me to tears. It's very emotional. But, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And, um, you know, I, I, thinking about them, it's like Ronnie Van Zant said, if I leave here tomorrow, would you still remember me? And that's what I apply to everything. By mentioning all of their names, and by thinking about them and telling the story, you know, that's keeping them in everyone's hearts and minds. And uh, that's what I will continue to do. I'm going to play drums till I'm 100, <laughs> and then I'm going to switch to stand-up comedy. There you go. <laughs> Artemis, I'm going to reach out to you, and, and we're going we're gonna to sit down and have a very long conversation because I want to break down this entire soundtrack, and I want to talk about the movie. So, so I'm going to reach out to you so we can have no time limits, okay? Uh, please do, and I'll, I'll drive over to Charlotte and sit with you and uh and bring some of the writers on the on the music so you know um you have an open uh, everybody's got my number you can get it from anybody um and and uh stay you know stay in touch all right buddy uh, arrow and uh me and my arrow that's right man you be brilliant today okay sir okay we're on our, i'm on my tour bus we're on our way to texas <laughs> to play uh uh on a big ranch out there so uh we're looking forward to playing uh tomorrow um, uh, Saturday Saturday night uh, for about 250 people. But we will social distance and we will wear our masks. Unplugged and totally uncut with M.R. Wells. I am great. Thanks so much for having me on. Well, thank you so much because I'm such a, a major, major pet lover, especially when with dogs. I, I've rescued dogs my entire life, and it's and they, they are they are the greatest medicinal on the planet. Absolutely. I have been so excited to write Dr. Dog because there are 47 stories about dogs that heal in all kinds of ways. People's personal pets, crisis response dogs, therapy dogs, service dogs, even dogs who walk around LAX with a big red vest that says pet me. They're part of PUP. Pets unstressing passengers. And they help people chill out when they're traveling and under stress. You know, I, I, I've got to go right away to what everybody has always said about dogs. It's God spelled backwards. Do you, do you believe in the same theory? Oh, I, you know, dogs aren't God. I think dogs are an incredible expression of God's love. In fact, each story actually has a Bible tie-in. The concept is that God is our great physician, and so there's a bit of a parallel there. And so there's a there's a little parallel at the end of each story. But um, they are amazing in their unconditional love. They're amazing in the things that they can do. I have dogs in the book who are seizure alert dogs, diabetic alert dogs, they have been able to make things 
possible. Uh, there's one story called The Dog at the End of Their Rope. This is a family with a young man who has intractable epilepsy. He had multiple injuries from falling like a tree. He got a service dog who alerted up to 12 hours beforehand, and it has now been four years since he's been in an emergency room. Isn't it amazing how dogs can pick up on this? Is is it a wave of energy that they're feeling? What What is it that they're seeing inside the windows of our world? You know, I think we have, we're not completely positive. My best guess after talking to all these different people for Dr. Dog is that they have senses and perceptions that are much more finely tuned. Some of it probably has to do with scent. Uh, things like diabetic alert, seizure alert. We are walking chemical factories and biochemical factories. And I think that there are just changes in the body that they can pick up on before any instrument, before we can. Again, they haven't proved some of this, absolutely. But that seems like a possibility or perhaps other subtle changes that their senses can detect that ours can't. That's so funny you bring that up because inside my recording studio is my Chinese Crested. And what's so funny about Sophia is that she plays around the studio and then when once the phone rings and she knows it's interview time, she will sit next to me and she lays up against me during every conversation. You know, in Dr. Dog, again and again, people shared with me when I was interviewing them that when the dogs are working, if it's a therapy dog, if it's a crisis response dog, if it's a service dog, they know it. When that vest goes on, they are they flip a switch and they are quiet in public places. They've been trained to not react to wheelchairs and yelling kids and whatever. And then when the vest comes off, they start acting like a regular dog. It's, it's amazing how dogs are also therapeutic to other dogs. I've seen that so many times. I think that's absolutely true. You know, they... My little Marley, I have three small dogs at home. And the biggest caregiver in the group is my little Marley, who's a Papillon mix. And if any other person or animal, even a cat, is um, is uh, upset, he knows. And he will go and try to comfort that animal. When uh, one of the cat, one of my cats was uh, had heart disease and was kind of on her way out, he would go to her and try to groom her. See, that's what I love. That's what I love about dogs because it's it's almost like they're a daily affirmation in our life. That you know, they give us unconditional love. They they give us so much. For example, a big part of what dogs do in crisis response is they provide a bridge of communication with people who have been traumatized. I have a story in Dr. Dog called A Helping Paw in Trouble. And one of the things that happened, unfortunately, there have been a lot of school shootings, workplace shootings, and this young young boy was in a school shooting situation. It happened at the very next table. And he went back into the situation with a counselor, his principal, and a crisis response dog and the dog's handler. And it as long as he was petting the dog, he could talk about what had happened. And he was able to come to the place of realizing it's just a room. Something awful happened here, but it's over and it's just a room. 
Yeah, you bring up a really interesting point about students and things because maybe that's what's missing from these schools that you know that really have had a lot of terrorism in them. If there were a dog available, maybe they would have spotted the the danger first. I don't know about that, but I do know that they are an enormous comfort to people who have been through a rough time. And actually, they, they, there are situations, I have one story in the book about this, in Dr. Dog, about dogs being brought in during finals and during breaks. The kids can go and pet the dogs, and sometimes the dogs will even do tricks. And it helps the students relax and theoretically do a better job on their test. Well, look, look, look at what dogs are doing with the soldiers that are coming home from Africa. Afghanistan and Iraq. I mean, they, you know, they've got that disease where they're afraid of everything, but yet the dogs are the ones that are bringing total comfort to these soldiers. Again and again in Dr. Dog, there are stories which show that dogs provide comfort. This can be honed, by the way. There's one story called A Tranquilizer with Paws, and this young girl, Vanessa, couldn't stay in school uh, because she was so anxious. And she'd gone through high school missing more school than she'd, than she'd been in and ended up uh, being introduced to a therapy dog, realized maybe she could go to college if she had a service dog. They found one, trained it her whole first year of college. She missed two days of school. This needs to be a Saturday morning program. This, this is such a brilliant idea, and I can't thank you enough for, for putting this book together. I'd like to share with your viewers that, um, or rather your listeners, that we have a special this week. Dr. Dog, the ebook to celebrate the launch of the book, is available through Sunday, the 17th, for $1.99. And you can go to my website, drdogbook.com, and take advantage of that or you can go to directly to Amazon Barnes and Noble Christianbook.com and order it there but it's Dr. Dog my name on the book is M period R period Wells and the website is drdogbook.com Unplugged and totally uncut with a Manhattan transfer I love the fact that you guys include everything artistic in, in everything that you create because it's, it's like you bring in the whole mind, body, and soul. What, what was that one thing that you guys did to, to go with that route? Uh, well, I think that in the beginning, this is Alan Paul, I think in the beginning, you know, we were a performance group. We, we, you know, we started out um, always performing, and I think that gave us a uh, a certain uh, sensibility in terms of uh, you know the music and we're you know um, singing in front of people, and I think that it also uh, affected our recordings as well. I remember being that seven to midnight jock in Billings, Montana, when you guys came out with Boy in New York City, Boy from New York City, and it was like it was it was my Beatles moment because I had never heard anything like that in my life. Yeah, yeah. So I you don't remember it. the original record by the AdLibs? No, you didn't. No, you you guys no. introduced me to a whole completely different sound, and 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 when listeners were reacting to it, it just you just wanted to dig even more, but we didn't have an internet to dig into. We had to wait for Joel Whitburn to catch up. Huh. Mm. Right. 
You know, this is Trist Curlis, and I grew up in Cheyenne, Wyoming. Even though it's not close to Billings, to everyone else in the world, we're basically we're neighbors. Um, and I would say the same thing. I was growing up, and I heard that as well. So right in in that part of the country, I don't. Not a lot of us really would have probably necessarily heard the ad lib. So I'm I'm with you, sir. I I uh, heard of them that same way. Man, being right there in Cheyenne, all that red shale out there. Did you get out there and play in it any time when you were a kid? <laughs> Oh, uh, you know, uh, sometimes. <laughs> the new album is called The Junction. This this right here, this album is so, it, it's an invitation to have a conversation, to have it playing while you're doing things in an everyday world. What, what were your guys' thoughts when you were putting it together? Wow. Mm. That's... I'm still reeling from your statement about it. I, <laughs> we weren't really, you know, sometimes you don't know what you have until you're finished with it, and then you can sort of look at it as a whole. Uh, we were basically individually writing diff- a lot of this record. So we were all off in our own little writing worlds, and then uh, because of our schedule and our geographical distance from each other, we had to do the, record the record a little bit piecemeal. In other words, if we lived in the same city, we could block out two weeks, you know, and go in every day and record. But we had to sort of break it up. So we, I, for me, I didn't really know what we had till we finished mm-hmm. it. Yeah, I'd have to agree. And to have the trust within the group that, okay, Alan's writing this, Trist is writing that, Janice is doing this, you know, and it all came together beautifully because it, it all became one one unit, you know, which is kind of magic in a way. The last time that happened, I think, was Offbeat, where we also wrote the music and really didn't know what we had until it was finished. But I, this, this, uh, this was very rewarding and very exciting. We, I, I love this record. I think, and people really, really respond to it well. Like, oh, this is real Manhattan transfer. Yep. Yeah, I love the way that you guys. It's like the Beatles. It was it was four different guys who happened to come together as one. Manhattan transfers the same game. Four individual people who come together as one. Yes, uh, connected at birth. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, um, that's what happened. Yeah. But that, but that's, that's got to be a beautiful moment in your hearts because collaborations don't always work, but you guys do. Uh, it's uh, it's been very interesting, you know. The uh, you know our original uh, member founder Tim Hauser, uh, you know, had this concept. He had uh, this idea of doing four part harmony and applying it to popular music. You know, at the time, like in, in, in 1972, when we got together, I mean, you really wouldn't hear a lot of four-part harmony on the radio. Right. I mean, it would be triads, you know, or it would be, uh, you know, uh, triads with a, you know, a, a voice on top. But, it, you know, four-part harmony was considered jazzy, and nobody would play it. We- so um, it, it, um, it's been quite a journey. You know, to be able to do that and our relationship uh, with Ahmed Erdogan up at Atlantic Records, you know, that really supported uh, the group. You know, we were kind of Ahmed's, you know, he he had signed us, so he he really kind of got what we were trying to do. I like what you guys... I, I love what you guys did with Swing Balboa. You talk about a modern day song that could end up in clubs very soon. 
thank you. Yeah, that was uh, you, you know Balboa. A lot of people, especially on the East Coast, they don't they don't know too much about uh, Western swing. But the Balboa is a style of Western swing dance, and um, so um, you know I I kind of wrote this idea uh, with that, and I really uh, liked uh, uh, electro swing that kind of you know um, hit the scene uh, you know a few years ago. So I kind of applied the two of that. When the need to throw up it's amazing how you guys work your harmonies. I mean, is it is it overdub over overdub, or do you guys have? I mean, I, I would love to be a fly in a wall when you guys are, are introducing songs to each other, and all of a sudden, boom, it happens. Well, I mean, an arrangement sort of happens. Um, I mean, we just don't open our mouths and sing the four part harmony. It's it's written down. Some groups don't do it that way. Right. Uh, like Take Six, for instance. They don't do it that way. Which It was really interesting to uh, to observe their process because we've been doing shows together with them. But our process basically is an arrangement that's written, and then we sit down and we work it, you know, measure by measure. Well, you can definitely hear that in the song uh, uh, "Shake Ya." <laughs> Who, which, which one of you monkeys are the one that wrote that song? Because that's that's a that's a Ooh. fun song. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Boogie. Yeah, I'm that. I am that monkey. <laughs> Once in a galaxy beyond where I can see, there lived a Wookiee who was sexy as could be. Oh yeah, he loved his bebop and he loved the ladies too. He jiggled all around when he was in the mood. I'm singing. Keep swaying, move your, move your body Get into it, gather round The original yeah, instrumental was uh, done by a man named Adam Dorn, whose nom de rue is motion worker. And he does a lot of remixes and dance mixes and a lot of film work, actually. And uh, he was the son of a, a legendary producer from Atlantic Records named Joel Dorn. So I, uh, we knew him. I, I knew him especially because I worked with Joel for many years. But uh, we, he started doing this amazing, uh, almost the precursor of of electro swing. Uh, and he started to to uh, sample some of the records that his father made with great jazz artists into these dance records. And we all became big fans of, of Adams. And we thought for this record... It's perfect to to do a collaboration with him. So Shaky Boogie really is uh, the galactic vocal version is a collaboration with Motion Worker, and uh, the lyric is um, was based on my son talking about Star Wars and how excited he was <laughs> about going to see the new Star Wars. So there's a sexy Wookie in there. I, I'll admit it. There's a sexy Wookie. <laughs> So when you when you take the songs from the studio to the new tour, is is it a game of okay, we're we're going to sample it tonight to see how people react to it? Uh, not so much sample it, just try and learn it. Okay, you know, it's one thing to be in the studio. That's that's one whole different uh, uh, set of skills, and then to physically do it on stage, it's it's tricky. You know, there's a there's a lot involved. You know, in terms of we're singing along with a couple tracks just to get other sounds that the record has. So we're in click, and we really have to be right on the money. We can't, you know, we can't 
stray from the time at all or the or the uh, phrasing. So we're still, we're right in the process of doing, we've got like four now, four, we're working on five. You know, it's quite a process. You know, that's, that's and to physically stand there and sing the music without, you know, moving around, because we move a lot. You know, we, <laughs> we have to like, we have to keep our bodies in motion. Are you performing Cantaloupe at all? Because I mean, I, I was shocked when this song came out, because I was expecting the horn and it was your voice. And I, it was like, wow. Yikes. Yes, we do it. We do it live. That was like the first song we, we attempted to recreate live as human beings. It's a lot of words. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's a lot of fun, though. A lot of fun. A lot of fun. When you go into the idea, do you, do you bring the fun right off the bat, or is it something that you have to come in as students of the of, of the art, and then you then you're able to kind of start expressing yourselves? I think there's a little tension at first. Do you know when you're doing a new song? I mean, where you see singers have to remember not only your part, but the words and the arrangement. We're not like. The, the instrumental, lazy instrumentalists that sit <laughs> in the back with music in front music of them on a chair, you know. <laughs> Ooh, get <laughs> so when, when you come up with a song called The Man Who Sailed Around the, the, the Soul, His Soul, that, that right there, it, it draws you in. It's how did you get, capture the emotion on that one? Because it's the one song that really kind of sticks out to me because it's so inviting. Oh, yeah, this is, uh, this is Trist. I, I thought of that one kind of as we were developing some of the other songs. I heard some other song ideas. You know, when we're coming up with an idea, you, you kind of throw in about, you know, 50 or so different kinds of songs and try to see which vibes together, which makes, which makes a good set. And um, with some of the other, you know, Blues for Harry Bosch, film noir sounding thing. And there's some other, there was some other little vibes that for some reason reminded me of that song uh, from the English band XTC. Um, Not a big hit of theirs. However, an album track from one of their biggest albums, it's a song that kind of was in the back of my mind as some song I wanted to sing sometime, whether it was in a solo set, in a group, and I didn't know where, but it was something that's there. As, as musicians, you always have these songs that you love, and sometimes they make an appearance in your actual musical world, and that's where that one just kind of came out as something. I said, hey, here's this song, guys. What do you think about this? And I think everyone did take to it. I think they all saw my vision of, oh, this does kind of oddly fit with some of these well, other songs. I'm a huge fan of XTC. It's from Skylarkin, right? Yes. So, but was it was intriguing to me about the song is that it's a pop, it's a pop song with jazzy overtones in seven, and you don't find that very much. Is every idea a great idea? Oh no. <laughs> Definitely not. No. But we try. We, you know, we're, you know, we campaign. But if you throw enough it. of them out there, one yeah, of them is going to be good. Step. The man who walked across his heart, who took no compass, guide, or chart, to Robentar's blood congealed when he found himself revealed, ugly and cold. 
the sirens that sing By your nose with its ring They'll drag you in For your sin I go in there listening beyond the beats and, and to really kind of study what you guys are doing. And and I can't be the only one who does that. Do, do colleges and universities that, that, ha, that feature music want to know how you do it? Yeah, especially, uh, yeah, um, you know, singers, you know, that, that are um, that are doing that. You know, they, uh, yeah, I think that they, they look at our... You know this. Uh, what we're doing, the arrangements, um, the voicings, um, absolutely, and the originality. Because you guys, there, no two albums have ever been the same. True. Yeah, it's something that we, I think, early on wanted to adapt to because uh, it, you know we didn't want to get pigeonholed. Right. We didn't want to to uh, have ourselves uh, put into a box where you know we would be known for a particular thing, and then and and that was it. We wanted to keep exploring and trying different things, and um, you know we were fortunate in, in that respect, you know, because of our relationship uh, up at Atlantic Records, especially at that time in the beginning. Uh, to have that flexibility, you know, um, uh, Ahmed Erdogan, who had signed us, um, you know, he allowed us the freedom to to do that, to explore. When you travel the world like you guys are doing on this current tour, do you, do you find yourself still exploring and, lo- and, and searching out the regional areas to find out, wow, there's something here that we could pick up on? You mean musically? Musically, yeah, because I mean, because you know how the United States is. I mean, you can go in all four corners and have four completely different sounds. And I've always wondered, musicians like yourself, if if you're able to go, man, I love what they're doing in Chicago versus Seattle. Well, yeah, I mean, well, I think when you travel the world, it's a little more um, pronounced. The difference types of music that there are and when we do travel we do seek out the local stuff like well i mean when we go to chicago i used to go to the blues clubs right you know uh and uh but i don't know if there's i mean you 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 we don't have all that much time honestly when we travel but i'd say internationally like when we played georgia uh in the former soviet union uh, there's a very big tradition of polyphonic singing there. So we were able to hear a choir uh, or two when we were there. In Bulgaria, they have a very specific style of choral music. You know, and sometimes, a lot of times groups come to us, come to the concert and want to sing for us afterwards, which is fantastic. What is it like for you guys when you're up on that stage and that applause comes in? We don't get to see that side of your personalities, but we do get to see you look at each other. <laughs> <laughs> We're having a great time. <laughs> you know. Yeah, you know, people ask us a lot of times, you know, well, if you do like, uh, you know, like certain songs, like all the time, I mean, doesn't it get like tiring? I mean, how do you do that? And, you know, it really does have to do with the audience. You know, every time we walk out on the stage, it's a different audience. It's a different experience in that sense, because we're making a, a, a new connection. You know, so I think it kind of, it, it lifts us up. Let's work it, let's work it. It's a place for work. I want to see. Dun, 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 dun. 
If you'd like to grab more info about the Manhattan Transfer with their new album and tour, get it right now. ManhattanTransfer.net.